You're listening to a podcast from Bridge to Life Ministries of the Couples Getaway for 2021. The theme is putting on the armor of God in your marriage. And the third session, which you will hear next, is what to do once the armor is in place to combat evil and to protect our marriages. Taught by Don and Becky Smith co-founders of Bridge to Life Ministries. The shield here is interesting that uh, how it's used. And so, Becky, if you would like to read uh, the description there for us. The shield that Paul is, just, is describing in Ephesians 6 was a large shield that was typically two feet wide and four feet long, shaped almost like a door, consisting of planks of wood fused together. The wood was covered by canvas, then by leather, then iron was built into the center as a hub and also the extreme edges of the shield from top to bottom. This made the shield able to withstand the hard-hitting strokes of an enemy's broad sword during close combat. Ancient historians say these shields were so large that they were capable of covering the whole body of a soldier when he was crouched down. The flaming arrows were more likely were more like the javelins you see in modern Olympic games with the tips coated in pitch and set on fire. They were often referred to as darts, but big ones, sometimes launched by a catapult to give them sufficient velocity and accuracy. Thank you. And so in Ephesians six it says, in addition to all of this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the fiery arrows of the devil, of the evil one. So um, it, it's, it's for protection, but also to shield against Satan's attacks, these incoming arrows, uh, javelins, so to speak, that are, are coming down on us. And so uh, I think a good, um, oh, is it Braveheart, the movie Braveheart? Uh, if, if you've seen that movie, I thought about sharing a clip of it, but uh, the, the uh, Wallace is um, uh, trying to motivate his men to attack the king's uh, group and such. But anyhow, uh, the king's group, they take their arrows and shoot them. And all of a sudden, they take their shields and squat down behind them. And uh, hopefully, most of the arrows are caught on the shields. But uh, it, it helps protect. My only question about this and reading it and studying it, if it's like a door... I don't want to lug that thing around. <laughs> it's, it's heavy. Um, I, this one isn't too bad, but that one's heavy enough. So uh, I, I just find it fascinating that uh, it protects well, but it I, seems like it would be a burden. So let's look at uh, just the spiritual attributes of uh, this piece of armor. And so looking at the notes on page 18, the, the art or the act of faith is what becomes a shield, a protection to guard against the enemy's attacks. So if you notice, it says a field of shape, faith. And so what I want you to point out is the key word is faith. Um, and what we need is faith if we're to um, really withstand Satan. Faith in what? Do we really trust God? Do we put our faith, and I, I'm not just talking about positionally, knowing Jesus Christ as our Savior, but I'm talking about practically in the sense that um, I trust him. I totally trust him. 
And, um, and I, I think many times um, our, our faith can waver. Uh, there's fears we have and struggles. But uh, faith is the key that keeps us uh, uh, safe. So faith is not talking about, but uh, uh, talking about or thinking about the truth. Because we can sit here, there, there's a, a couple of counseling. The wife really struggles with fear. Um, she struggles with, uh, she's uh, extremely low self-worth in the sense that um, uh, she gets triggered easy. And, but, but when she gets triggered, uh, one of the things she does is, uh, and I'll just point out and say, did you just see how you reacted in whatever we're talking about? Oh, but my, my, my worth is in God and da-da-da. Well, she can talk a good talk, but she sure isn't living it. And my thing is, I said, I know you know the verse, and and she'll 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 quote a verse there and, and say, but my worth is in God, and not you know my husband can't do this or that to me. He sure can, and he does a good job uh, of attacking her, and she lets it get to her every time. And so I said, tell me practically, how does your faith apply? Because you say it, but you don't live it. And at first she wasn't happy, but now she's seeing it and working on it. But, um, but it, it's, it's not just saying it. The enemy sends these flaming arrows into our lives, especially when we are called to walk by faith. So I, I think the more we try to walk by faith, the more we're going to see different ways that the enemy is trying to attack. And um, our defense against the uh, enemy's attacks is our practical faith in God. And, and as I thought about that, um, what does it mean for Don Smith to practically trust God um, in situations, whether it's in the ministry, situations with, um, with Becky, um, just to have faith that God is in control? Trust God. I think I'm losing it, Josh. Might see if the next battery. Um, but um, I'll tell you where there's an area that I'm struggling with right now, faith-wise. I would like to say I'm not, but I, truthfully I am. And that is with the future of Bridge to Life Ministries. We've been doing this for 30, if I can get handy, or let's just do it. Yeah, I can. Good. So, um, but, you know, we've been doing the ministry 38 years. Um, Ten years ago or so, we decided uh, as a board and Becky and I, we went, when, when we die or kind of retire, um, we want the ministry to continue. But what will that look like? Who will God raise up to take our place? And I can tell you oodles of stories where there's been transitions in ministry and they've gone wrong. And, um, and some are very close to Beck and I. Um, 
And I don't want that to happen to British Life. I don't want British Life to become disorganized where it has to shut down. Uh, I know two ministries in West Michigan where the founders uh, retired or died, and uh, literally the board kind of took the ministry another way. They ended up selling some of the material just for money, um, and they lost their whole ministry. Another one is uh, because of mismanagement and I think choosing the wrong people. Um, uh, they tried to change the thrust of the ministry, thinking make it more popular. Really, it killed it, where now they don't have a director anymore. They have a couple of volunteers who sell the material, and that's it. Um, and, and so my fear is, God, this is your ministry. You have to take care of it. Can I trust God enough um, to, to take care of Bridge Life in the future? Because I, I want it to continue to go forward. And... Um, we're going through a process at Bridge Life Board to, to what does the transition look like and well, what will the future of the ministry look like? And um, I feel like God needs my help, you know? <laughs> Put it bluntly. Um, I don't know if I can trust him, you know? Um, so I need faith. I, I need, my, my faith is in God, not in, people and what the things are. So uh, practically, Lord, just teach me peace in the midst of this. Teach me to trust you in it. So in the middle of page 18, faith is, faith, uh, fear is one of Satan's primary schemes to get us to drop our shields and uh, be paralyzed, um, which brings up the question, what do we fear? Uh, I think we all have fears. I think there's fears. Uh, some of us are really consumed, and some of us have things that have happened in our past that have really affected. I used to have a fear of other people driving. Uh, in my lifetime, I have been involved in nine accidents, auto or motorcycle accidents, and only two of them were I driving. Seven were other people. So my record is better than other people's, right? <laughs> Uh, so I want to be in control. I want to drive. I've gotten to a place where I can relax more uh, when someone else is driving. S somewhat. Yeah. And the best driver's training instructor I've ever had. Thank you. <laughs> Did you hear that compliment? She said, I am the best driver instructor that she's ever had. So <laughs> I consider that a privilege. So, But... Um, but you know what? What overcomes fear? Our faith in God. And, and if we're weak in that, then let's, let's focus on that. Let's say, here's my fear, and, and what can I do to trust and know God more deeply? So application here uh, for this is, um, where, where is God asking you to step out in faith with confidence in his ability to see us through? Um, I think the only way faith is built is by actually putting us in situations where we have to trust God. I can, I can sit back and say, Lord, give me the faith here to do this and that. And I don't think much is going to change until I put myself in that situation. And then the power of God comes through that. In other words, God doesn't give us the strength until we need it. And so what is it that holds you back where you could say, you know what, and maybe it has to do with talking to our spouse, maybe it's taking risking forgiving, 
risks uh, engaging and, and discussing issues, and you're scared to death, like, you know, it always goes south and it creates a fight and such. Well, if it does, then see a doctor. And by that, I mean go to someone who can help. Talk to a counselor. Talk to another Christian couple. Talk to your pastor. Talk to someone who can help guide you through it. I find it many times where couples say, and I think it's okay initially, where they say, Don, when we start talking about things, it turns into a fight, and the only time we can talk about it is with you without it getting out of control. Well, that's a good place to start, but the goal is to help them begin to do this on their own. But um, we're fearful of just things not going right. And so the question is here, I think, is to ask the question, where is my faith weak? Uh, again, taking an inventory. God's word isn't effective unless we know how to apply it and where to apply it. If you go to the doctor and say you're not feeling well, they will maybe do blood tests. They will do some x-rays. They'll do this or that. And why? Um, because they want to know exactly what's wrong so they can know exactly what medicine prescription to give you. When you go to the doctor and say, I'm not feeling well, he doesn't f hand you a whole bag of pills and say, take a bunch of these and surely one of these will help you. Um, they exactly find out so they can know how to apply the remedy. And I think many times what we do is we don't know what's wrong and so we don't even know what verses in the Bible to, we, we just kind of throw a bunch of verses at it like a bag of medicine. Hoping, I hope one of these verses help. It's we got to know God's word so we can know how to apply it. And one of the things I've enjoyed doing is just, Don, where do you struggle and what are truths and principles that I can build in that area of my life? Uh, for many years, I just took it for granted, like, Lord, I'll try harder and I'll read a little more. I'm for you reading your Bible, but I'm simply saying in, in, uh, in 2 Timothy, Paul says, and we'll see the verse in here in a few moments, is, is that God's word is sharper than a two-edged sword, piercing to the uh, dividing asunder. In other words, it, it goes even to the teensiest little places if I know what's wrong and how to use scripture. Um, and so let me, let me say a couple other things. One is I, I'm for devotions, 100% for devotions. But I think if we're to mature in Christ, it's more than just take, and I'm not against the daily bread. We give them out at Bridge to Life. But um, it's more than reading this little couple of paragraphs and a verse, uh, and that's a good for today. Um, I, I know God uses that, and he's spoken to me at times through different things. But my point is, is that it's a Band-Aid on a deeper problem. Am I... Am I committed to studying God's word to, to really understand and know how to apply it? Second is, the Lord spoke to me last night, and so I, I don't know if this is me or you guys, but um, when I said I don't, uh, I prefer to counsel non-Christians versus Christians, doesn't mean I don't want to counsel Christians, okay? So I hope that didn't come across that way, uh, um, because I... I I really love Christians who come in and with an open heart and say, Don, we're struggling with this. Can you help us? And they're not being defensive. They're not being evasive. They're taking it seriously. Those I look forward to. I hope they show up for their next appointment. It's the ones who, 
they're only there because either the wife or the husband wants them there or what, they're not committed. And I kind of think, I hope they don't show up today, you know? But, um, but I, I want those who are hungry. I, I want to make a difference with someone who's, who's hungry for the word. And uh, so I, I didn't want it to come across like I'm, um, I, I, I don't care, but it's, it's, I want to make a difference, I, I guess is what I'm trying to say. So um, finishing up the notes here is um, identify the flaming arrows that the enemy is attacking you, uh, your marriage with. And are there any fears that hold you back from trusting God? And if you have fears that are holding you back, um, one, identify them. Second, I would bring them before the Lord and just say, Lord, you already know I struggle with this, but I, I'm just, we're talking about it out loud here. And uh, would you help me get to the root of it? If I need to talk to somebody, if I need to understand the process, why? I think a lot of our things from our childhood and hurts hold us in bondage. I believe the reason it's important to look at our stories in, in the past is because we have been wounded and Satan uses those things to hold us in bondage. And I know sometimes when people come in for counseling, they don't want to, let's just deal with our communication, Don. I don't want to get into all my story and such. It's like, but Satan is, Satan is so clever at taking those dysfunctions, those little hurts, big hurts, some are huge hurts, but taking those hurts and holding us in bondage and we don't even realize what they're doing to us. And so are we willing to look at those things to say, that's why I don't trust God? I would venture to say, if you have trouble trusting God, it somehow probably comes out of your childhood. If you had a parent who did great damage to you, normally what happens is we tend to view God the same way we view our relationship with our parents. If we couldn't trust our parents, it's likely you couldn't trust God. For me, uh, one thing I have struggled with, I still do, but I, I think I'm making little progress, is I really struggle with feeling loved by God. I often don't feel worthy of God's love. I just feel like I, I can't measure up. I feel like um, I got to do something to earn it. And it, it comes from the way I was raised. My, my parents were... Uh, Christians. They were missionaries to the Navajo Indians, and from the age of three, uh, we moved to the mission field in New Mexico to, uh, to the Navajo Indians. And, uh, but my, my dad, a dear godly man, uh, but basically he was more concerned about how you acted than who you were or what was going on inside of you. One of his comments would be, uh, you know, don't act up or don't do anything wrong because you're a testimony. And if you don't act right, you could cause someone to go to hell. And so your performance was what counted. Don't care what's going on inside of you. Just act right. So I, I've kind of learned the thing that um, not what is unconditional love, but it's more how you act and perform. And I know that's not the right, how God loves us. He loves us unconditionally, even though we screw up and such. And I, I just often feel like I'm not worthy of God's love or I, I, performance is more important. And I know that's all wrong, but I have to keep working on it. And um, here and there I get little glimpses 
of God's love. And they just last for a little bit, and it's just enough to keep me going. And then something happens, another little taste here. It's not a boom and all the lights come on. Little dimmers here and there. But I'm so thankful for how God continues to be faithful to show me how much he loves me. And, and I, I, I sense it the most when I'm reading scripture. When I, when I can see that, well, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you this. Um, the way I came to accept Christ as my Savior, um, my parents said when I was five years old, um, having family devotions, I prayed and accepted Christ. I don't remember that, but I'm sure I probably did. But when I was in high school, we moved to Flagstaff, Arizona when I was 16. And uh, in the church there, they had uh, what we call... Um, um, those, those teams where you memorize scripture and you compete against other churches. Not Awana. It's not debate, but what, it's, it's like word of life, but, um, but you know, we memorize a chapter and, and then compete against another church. And if you, you, you know, you pop up and the first one to stand up gets, who can answer it. But anyhow, we were studying um, in preparation um, quiz team. That's what it was, quiz team. Really, system. Yeah, like, um, uh, so anyhow. Um, but I was on a quiz team, and we were studying uh, Romans, Romans 8. And somehow, in the process of memorizing and studying Romans 8, it struck me like I never saw it before. God loves me. I know it was there. I know I'd seen it before, but it hit me. And, and I remember just, am I saved or am I? I thought I accepted Christ, and now I see it differently, clearly. And, and I remember going to bed that night. If I die tonight, will I go to heaven or not? Because I, I see it differently. And I remember I couldn't sleep, and I thought, finally, get out of bed. I got out of bed, knelt by my bed, and I just said, Lord, I don't know if I'm a Christian or not, but tonight I'm going to make sure that I understand what you did for me on the cross, and I wasn't worthy of your love, and you did that for me, and I accept you as my Savior, and uh, I became a child of his for sure. I drove a stake in the ground, and um, somehow seeing that changes your life. It, it motivates you differently. And I'm saying, where have you had an encounter with God where you've seen what he's done for you? Um, and I think we only get that as we study God's word and we take the time. Tomorrow, there's some really neat things I'm anxious to share with you that will help in doing that. So let's go to the helmet. And uh, Becky, would you like to read that for us, please? A Roman soldier's helmet was basically a skull cap made of iron, typically covered with bronze. Its primary function was to protect the soldier's skull and brain from the swing of the broadsword. The helmet included a flared neck guard and hinged cheek guards. All right, so we kind of see it there. Uh, so I want to talk just about uh, that. So it says the helmet of salvation... Oops, let me go back. So the key word again is what? Salvation here that we want to look at. And so on page 19, 
The helmet of salvation, when worn by the believer, means to live every day in light of eternity and the promises that, that, uh, of what is to come. So salvation is more not, is, is not have to do with just uh, being saved, but, um, or as it says here, a ticket to heaven, but rather we need to apply the benefits of salvation to our daily lives. So it's not just talking about, did you become saved? Because they're already saved. We're talking to Christians here. But are you living it out practically? Um, Choose not to wear a helmet. Choosing not to wear a helmet leaves your mind exposed and unprotected. I like the verse in Romans here, uh, and you probably know it. Uh, Do not be conformed to this world. But uh, I I have it memorized in King James, so reading it here in NIV is confusing to me. Um, Do not be conformed uh, any longer to the pattern of this world, but but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good and pleasing and perfect will. And so what is the key? The renewing of our mind. And, and uh, so our helmet hopefully protects our mind. Um, I remember uh, some years ago, this is when our kids were younger, my parents lived, were alive, lived in Arizona. Becky's folks were in Kansas. And so we would drive all that long distance. And um, I remember one morning we got up really early traveling. I have the radio on. And uh, the kids are all sleeping because it's like probably four in the morning, five in the morning. And uh, I listened to the radio and the person on the radio said this, folks, after this commercial, we're going to have an interview with the world's only surviving brain donor. And I thought, I'm anxious to hear that. (laughs) (laughs) And then I thought about it a little bit. There is no such thing. But I think some of us act like that that we have donated our brain. Uh, but uh, it's to be renewed. And to um, uh, and, and what he's saying is that uh, we shouldn't become like the world, but our mind should be renewed, not to think like the world, but how God thinks. And so I like the verse in 2 Corinthians here, that uh, we're to take every thought captive. The weapons we fight with are not weapons of the world. On the contrary, we have divine power to demolish strongholds. We, demonst- we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. So I have a responsibility to examine my thought patterns to bring it into obedience to God. And, and I, I think many of us are totally controlled by whatever pops in our brain or how we feel. Um, Have we ever taken and compared that to what God says? I find it amazing, again, in counseling, uh, someone, uh, when, when they're struggling with their marriage, it's amazing how God can tell people stupid things. You know, God told me he wants me to leave my spouse. God tells me, told me that uh, I, I don't deserve to go through this. And God tells me, well, can you just show me that in Scripture? Because usually what God tells us is, should be substantiated in 
the, the Word of God. And um, I, I've just found very interesting things how God speaks to people that one of my grandkids, who is five years old, can tell you that's not right. <laughs> but we've, Satan has tricked our thinking into to this, and we're, we're supposed to take him captive. So uh, application for our marriage is how, how, how is the enemy attacking your mind? Um, what lies are you believing? And what are the truths that you need to believe? I think a good thing to do is to write down the lies that you believe. If you take our class, The Heart and Soul of a Real Marriage, which uh, we offer at British Life and some of your churches do it, but um, in lesson three, we talk about what are the lies you believe. And I think it's good to look at those and then to write down beside it uh, what are the truths to counteract that uh, because God's uh, word is true and I need to believe what God has to say. So let me go on to the next one here, which is the sword uh, the, the sword of the spirit. Um, so, uh, which is the word of God? So we're on page 20. Um, there's a sword. Would you? I think this uh, sword is really, really cool. I have two other swords in my possession at home. One is a... Uh, Years ago, when before Tammy was uh, married and such, she went to the Philippines. Remember that? And she came back with, what, three or four swords? Uh, and they, they're longer than this, and, they're, and the blade is not in a sheath. But uh, how she got those on the airplane years ago has bewildered me. She carried them. Nowadays, you can't even take a clippers or something, you know, but... But uh, she carried those on the plane. And so I have a Filipino sword and I have a Japanese sword from World War II. But, uh, so. So you're the one saying, I have the sword and you have the shield? I'm, I'm trying to build up my <laughs> weapons. So, <laughs> uh, to defend myself. But. <laughs> It may come true, <laughs> but uh, well, I'll, I'll sing as I go. <laughs> but um, but this one's really cool. Um, it, it's a Jewish one. It's got Jewish symbols on it. I didn't realize I got it off of Amazon, but um, but um, it yeah, it's. So we'll get this live. So, um, but my uh, my point is, is is that as I thought about uh, the sword, it's used for close combat. In other words, I can't fight you from over there. It's when we're right up to each other, and I think we need to know how to fight the enemy when he's right there in our face and when we're being attacked, because uh, we we need to use this. So, Beck, would you read the description on that, please? The sword was used for close combat. A fully equipped Roman legionary was armed with a shield, often a dagger, and perhaps darts. A soldier generally led with his shield and thrust his sword. The sword was generally 24 to 33 inches long. 
So we have our sword here, and um, let's look at that for a moment. Um, so what are the attributes here? Yes, it's the word of God. And do we realize how powerful it is? So we have the verse in Hebrews 4, says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to the dividing soul and spirit and joints and marrow to judge the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. In other words, the word of God can deal with anything that's going on inside of us, every little crevice, every little thing that we struggle with, that, that needs to be dealt with, it is capable by the power of God to do that. Where have you sensed the Spirit of God through his word speaking to the deep parts of you? If you're like me, it's I just usually look at the word of God kind of in a general nice, it makes me feel good, and I'm on my way for the day. Sometimes we have to go through surgery. Where have you taken time to let God do surgery on your heart? Um, a few years ago, four or five years, uh, no, in 2013, I had quadruple heart bypass surgery. Uh, I mean, that's messing with the heart, okay? And um, um, that takes a special skill to go in there and make things right. Are we willing to allow the Word of God to go in and do that minute surgery, or do we keep being busy where we don't even lay on the operating table? Tomorrow we're going to talk about having your alone space, a place where God can come, and I hadn't thought of it until I'm saying this, but maybe it could be our operating room where we really go and let God take and do surgery uh, where we need it. And so um, it's interesting to me that um, in the notes here, Jesus uh, used scripture, the word of God, when he was tempted by Satan. And uh, I highlighted uh, the parts where Jesus spoke, but Becky, would you read that uh, Matthew's passage, please? Passage. Yeah. Okay. Jesus answered, it is written, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, it is written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and the angels came and attended him. Thank you. You see, three times Jesus uses scripture. I talked about that a little bit last night. Do you even know scripture to use against where you're being attacked? But if I can take it another point is if Jesus found it necessary to use scripture, why don't we? Are we better than Jesus in the sense that we don't need that? Um, I love the examples of Jesus because it tells me 
one that how human he was to experience the same things we struggle with, but also how he dealt with them, and he always dealt with them in the right way. And uh, I think if we are to be Christ's disciples, we need to follow in the things that he did, which I think is knowing scripture and knowing how to use it. On page 21, do not look at things from the world's viewpoint, but rather from God's viewpoint. And the verse in 1 John here says this, which I think is terrific. It says, you, dear children, are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world and therefore speak from the viewpoint of the world and the world listens to them. But listen, so, and you are from God. So you see, it's, these are, for you, those are from the world, but you are from God. So we got two different sources going on that uh, is being brought up here. But he says, but you are from God, and whoever knows God listens to God. I like that again. If you know God, then you're going to want to listen to him. If we don't know God, we're not going to want to listen to him. But whoever is not from God does not listen to him. This is how we recognize the spirit of truth and the spirit of falsehood. And so um, we, we, there has to be the, the goal of here, um, I want to listen to God and I want to um, know his word. So application. Do we believe that the word of God has a power, uh, has power in our personal life and marriage? I would say most of us probably aren't very familiar how to apply the word of truth, but on the other hand, I would suppose we don't even know if the word of God can make a difference because we sure don't live like it makes a difference. And uh, that bothers me. What holds you back from spending time in God's word? And and I'm I'm not a... Uh, some of you may be familiar with the Navigators, uh, Campus Crusade Navigators. Uh, when I was in Bible college, I was involved for a while with the Navigators. They're really um, a, a good group, emphasize discipleship, studying God's Word, memorizing God's Word. And, um, and they're pretty dogmatic about it, pretty legalistic about it, in the sense of, you know, you've you got to be accountable and you've got to do your verses and you do your Bible study and da-da-da. And such, it's, it's to build character. But I think sometimes it becomes kind of legalistic. Like, if you didn't do it, shame on you. But if you did it, oh, you're, you're really a cool Christian. And, and I, I hate to look at our spending time in God's Word as a, a, a sign of spirituality. It's not, you know, how many of you can say you had devotions this morning? Oh, look at the rest of you. Come on. You know, uh, the, the point is, I do it because I love God, not to show off or show off my spirituality, but it's because I hunger for God. And, um, and I would just simply say, so we're, if you just spend a few minutes, if half hour, hour, I, I don't think the time is so important. I don't always have devotions every day. Uh, I probably should, but... There, there's several times during the week where I just say, okay, I'm going to take this time right here just to spend with the Lord and, and, and um, let him speak to me. And so um, the point is, 
doing it with the intent of really letting God speak, not checking off the checklist. The last thing I want to bring up is um, prayer. And I, I believe we're in a spiritual warfare here because between good and evil, and prayer is the weapon that uh, caused us to depend on God. And as one author put it, that prayer is the, is the thing that energizes the, the weapons that we're studying here. But I, I want to just, uh, I, because it ends in um, the verse that says here, and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. This is in the spiritual warfare armor area, uh, this verse. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. And so he ends with prayer, uh, the importance of prayer. And so I want to look at two things here just for a moment in reference to that. Uh, the first one is uh, praying, uh, prayer activates the armor. Um, I never thought about that. I just thought, okay, if I can get my sword, I think I can handle it pretty well. Uh, what I envision is this, is I can't do anything with this sword unless I have prayer. It's ineffective. Unfortunately, I think some of us use the word carelessly and without power. We do it, I think we use the word to condemn others, to manipulate others, to shame others. And I'm gonna stick my neck out on this one, probably time to cut my head off, but, um, but uh, I, I think what we do is um, uh, we, we manipulate people a lot and judge people a lot. And usually the areas that we judge others are, are areas where we're weak ourselves. When someone comes in, this is one thing I've learned over 38 years of counseling. When someone comes in and really emphatic about what their spouse is doing, Often the case, it's something that they are doing or struggling with themselves. There's a situation that just recently working with, and um, I'll just put it in general terms here, but the wife accuses the husband of flirting with women and probably having an affair with women. And he admits he's flirted um, and is called women. He says, but I have not gone out with them or had sex with them or anything. And, uh, and I, I saw this couple about three years ago and recently they just come in again because uh, of some things that happened. And again, she brings all this up. And what I just found out here just the last couple weeks is this, she's been having an affair. It's her but throwing it on him for various reasons. But my point is, I think we tend to deflect things that we're guilty of ourselves. And, uh, and if we're being judgmental of someone in the church or another Christian, like, well, they don't do this, and they, there's probably some truth pointing back at us too. Um, and so, um, back, I get sidetracked so easy. Um, but uh, we need to activate our prayer life here. Um, but the part I want to end with is this. What about prayerlessness? Um, prayerlessness, uh, well, let me read it. We pray 
we pray when we perceive the love of God, and there's a miss, it says, and the have, but, and have experienced it in the inner core. In other words, we pray when God has really impacted us with the, his love. When we really understand that, I, I think it opens up doors for us to pray in a deeper way. It's not, Lord, thank you for the food. And I know I pray this way. And I, I feel bad sometimes when I pray for the food. Um, it, it just sounds like a rote prayer. Lord, thank you for the food. Thanks for watching over us. Be with our family and da-da-da and amen. Um, I, I don't know. I guess I feel like we need to hurry and pray so we can eat. But um, I, I, I think there's times when we have to spend a little more time just focus on what God has provided for us and done. But um, when I understand God's prayer, I think it changes our prayer life. But uh, how we pray and how much we pray, I love this quote. This is from J.D. Gear. He says, how we pray and how much we pray shows how well we understand how much we are loved by God. So the way I pray says a lot about how much I understand God's love for me. But let's look at it a different way. Prayerlessness is a sign of extreme arrogance and extreme um, unbelief. That's a quote by uh, Gear. Prayerlessness is a sign of extreme arrogance or extreme un unbelief. So let me explain that the way I understand it. In other words, if we don't pray, what we're really saying is, I'm too good for prayer. I don't need it. I got it all together. Or we just don't even believe that it's effective. It's one or the other, because we don't. You can give other excuses, but I think it boils down to those two. Prayerlessness means we don't need God's help. I got it, I got it handled, God. I can do it myself. Prayerlessness might mean we don't believe God's love is real, so we don't ask him for it. Our prayerlessness is not because of poor habits. I don't think that's the issue because if we really believed it, we would find a way to do it um, no matter what. Praying means we know how much God, how much I need the power of God. I love this quote by Paul Miller. I don't know who Paul Miller is, but I ran across it. He must be a cool guy, but if you are, he says this, if you are not praying, you're quiet, uh, quietly confident that your time, money, and talents are all you really need in life. Boy, that, that one struck home. That's why I put it in here, is if we're not praying, it's like all the things I have are taking care of me, Lord, so I don't need your help because I, I got things handled pretty well. I think sometimes things that happen to us, God allows to show us to be dependent on him. Why is it we only need God when we're really struggling or when things fall apart? I find one of the things interesting about um, uh, counseling couples is uh, when their marriage is falling apart, they start going to church. It's like, why? You didn't need them before. Why do you need them now? Well, I want God to fix my marriage. It's not, I want to know God better. It's, I want God to fix my marriage. Right there, our motives is messed up. 
And, and I would say, what's your motive for praying? What's your motive for following God? So you can be wealthy, so you can be blessed with some extra things. Yeah, we've been blessed with heavenly blessings, but um, it should be because we love him. There's one of the things I didn't put in the notes, but I'm going to just share. We've got about five minutes left. And it's this. Did you know, and if you're interested in a passage on this, I can give it to you. I, I don't have it handy. It's in my notes here. But um, it's interesting to me that the spiritual warfare is in the heavenly places. But did you also know, and I didn't know this until this study. I mean, I knew it, but I didn't make the connection. But that the Bible says that we are placed in Christ and we're placed in heavenly places at the right, at the throne of God on the right hand. And so it's like not only is the warfare going on here, but we are also placed here by God in this spiritual area here, which is amazing that we're not just talking here on earth, but there's stuff going on up there. But we are also secure in Christ and seated with him in this spiritual realm here in heavenly places. And so there's a lot more, and I'll end with what I did last night, and that is simply this. Pray that God would open our eyes to see this. Um, we're blind, I, I think, or, or we need glasses for sure, um, to see more clearly what God is really up to and uh, the battle that's going on so that we can pray and, and find victory we can take and plead on God's behalf. I, I like something that my grandpa, uh, it'd be my dad's dad, but my grandpa, um, he became saved at a l later age, uh, but he loved the Lord dearly. Um, he was a little opinionated, but old people are. Uh, but um, I'm not old yet. <laughs> uh, but he, he would pray this. Uh, when, when we would pray with him, he would say, Lord, we pray for those who have no one to pray for them. I just found that at the time I thought, hey, Grandpa, that's kind of a strange prayer in the sense of they don't even know you're praying for them. Well, they don't have to know. But my point is there's people that have no one to pray for them who are suffering. I'm thinking of people in Afghanistan. I, I, I know people are praying, but I, I think there's Christians around the world that are suffering, that are in prison or in different situations, and they feel like they've been forgotten. Do we even think about it? Um, one of the, I'll, I'll end with this. Is one of the things I find very curious. Um, when someone's hurting, they think all about themselves. There, there's a, a couple that have been coming in. Their marriage is a mess. They've been separated two years. About two months ago, they just moved back together. And it's touchy, but we're making some progress. But um, the husband, it's all about him all the time. Look how she treated me. Look what she won't do and this and that. And when she comes in, uh, Don, how are you doing? You okay with this? Or she'll, she, she's thinking of other people. He only thinks of himself, and I think he's quite a bit nar narcissistic, but it's interesting to me, he's just focused on his pain. He's the victim. And when I say pain, he just starts shaking and he tears up. He says, I don't like it when you call me a victim. And I said, but you act like one. And, he, and 
come to find out other people have called them vic victims. I, have, I wasn't the first one. That's why it triggers them so much. But I said, if you don't want to be a trigger, let's look at it. Uh, but my point is, is that it's all about him. He's involved in his little world of pain. And I understand that. We're, we're all that way when we're in pain. As I think about, you know, how I've struggled with some of the health issue in this, uh, I'm not thinking too much about your pain. I'm thinking about my leg. I had progress this morning. The last two days, I have not been able to lift my right leg first on a step. Um, I tried it a couple days ago at home going up into the house, and it's five and a half inches because I made the steps, I know. And, um, and I, I could just barely get my foot lifted up on there. The steps out here are steeper. They're probably seven or eight inches. I didn't measure those. But I was able to lift my foot. I thought, I'm just going to see if I can lift my foot this morning. And I was able just to make it. And uh, that's, that's progress. Um, but I'm thinking of my pain. But you have pain too. It's interesting. We're all circled in our own little worlds and we're all floating around each other or banging into each other with our own pain. And I stop to see, or I, I, I don't really see your pain. And I think that one of the things is when I become more aware of God and um, who he is, I begin to see my spouse's pain more clearly. And I, I begin to desire that I want the same thing for my spouse is that I'm experiencing. Instead of just praying, God, help Becky love me more or do this or that, what if I just say, Lord, I, I don't care if she loves me more, but I sure care if she knows God in a way that frees her to be the woman that you desire her to be. I hope out of that flows more love toward me. But you know what? I want her to taste the goodness of God and to fall in love with him. That's our prayer. Lord, help me not to be so selfish. Lord, as we close here, Help us to learn to use the weapons. Help us to um, be open to allowing, uh, you know, you, you working in us to motivate us to do these things. And, and our hearts are open to be obedient to that. And Lord, I, I confess I've so often taken lightly your word I've taken lightly just the effectiveness of it, and I feel like I have to do things myself. And I wonder how my life, my ministry, my impact, and my family would be different if I knew you more deeply and depended on you more. And so, Lord, um, thank you for pursuing us, and I pray for each couple here that your Holy Spirit would do the deeper work. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to the 2021 Couples Getaway with the theme this year, Putting on the Armor of God in Your Marriage. If you'd like more information, you can go to the website of Bridge to Life. It is www.bridgetolife.org. Or you can call them at 616-846-1051. I'm Mark Moore for Bridge to Life.